You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Welcome, family, friends, fans, and foes. It's time once again for Never Sleeps Network's Talking Wrestling. I am your host, Casey Corbin, and thank you for joining us here on Talking Wrestling on the Never Sleeps Network, as I just said. Uh, before we get into today's episode, uh, let's go and recap all those social media outlets that we'd like you to pay attention to uh, while you, you even uh, listen to the pod. So on the Twitter, you can find us at TNWPod on Twitter, Instagram at Talking Wrestling Podcast on the Instagram on uh, Facebook, Talking Wrestling, and send us an uh, Gmail, send an email to the Gmail if you want to uh, get a hold of us. That is a good way at Talking Wrestling at gmail.com. Uh, remember when it comes to Talking Wrestling, it's T A L K N W R E S T L I N G, Talking Wrestling. So hit us up all on those places. Give us a, a like on the Facebook page. Give us a uh, uh, you know a follow or uh, you know of course read, review, subscribe, rate, review, subscribe. Do all that stuff on the iTunes. Anything helps the show grow. Uh, anything that you can do. Uh, of course, we are still giving out our '80s postcards for anybody that gives a five star review uh and or a five star rating and a review uh we will get you a postcard if you haven't got your postcard and your review is posted on itunes please get a hold of us and let us know where to send this postcard so uh, if you could do that we could get all the postcards out to everybody that has uh, sent us in a review speaking of social medias uh twitter last night on the twitter we put out these videos of past episodes or past issues of the show where the guest and I are talking and usually the guest is telling a story and we kind of either animate or we play another video that corresponds with the story or we, we, we put out a little, they're little promo videos and they're, you know, they're about 35 seconds long and, uh, yeah, just a little bit of a teaser for the show. Well, uh, the latest one we posted was from when Jimmy Corderas, WWE referee uh, extraordinaire from uh, the past, when he uh, was on the show, he was talking about when he was in the ring with Kurt Angle on SmackDown and uh, tough enough opponent Daniel Pewter. Pewter? Is it Pewter? Is it Pooter? I hope it's Pooter because I like saying Pooter. Pooter, Booter, ten and a half footer, Pooter, Booter. Anyways, that's so Daniel Pooter. Pewter? Anyways, the UFC guy, the MMA guy from Tough Enough, you know it. He uh, got in the ring with Kurt Angle, and he tried to actually choke him out pretty much. And Jimmy Corderas had to uh, had to qu- think quick on his feet and uh, count the one, uh, two, three on uh, Pooter when he had uh, Kurt Angle in the lock on uh, the ground in order to end the uh, segment because uh, it was not looking good. So he's talking about this incident on the show. And we made a video, 35-second video teaser, uh, just talking about that incident. Well, I know that was a long story, but it all leads up to this. 
the man himself, not Jimmy Corderas, no, not Kurt Angle, but Daniel Pooter, Pooter Pooter, he retweeted it last night. He retweeted the video. I guess he likes it. So probably a good moment for him. As far as wrestling goes, he's remembered for that moment and then entering the Royal Rumble and then everybody kicking the shit out of him. You might remember that as well. But uh, Daniel Pooter uh, now knows Talking Wrestling exists. And Daniel, if you're listening and you want to come on this show and talk wrestling or talk about that incident or talk about the Royal Rumble, I would love to hear what you have to say about that. Let us know. Let us know. Let us know. Uh, and uh, fans, if that's something you're interested in and us pursuing Daniel Pooter to get him on the show, let us know about that too. I also want to mention a few words about um, the passing of uh big van vader leon white i grew up watching awa wrestling and uh near the very end years of the wrestling when they were always doing the shows from some showroom in vegas i remember watching leon white as a rookie coming over from the rams uh, from the nfl and he was just a big man and then he left for japan i never saw him wrestle in japan but i saw him when he came back to wcw and uh, it was not the same Leon White that I saw uh, leave uh, for Japan. This guy was now a monster and no longer a rookie. He was uh, a monster heel and uh, just scary. And just such a fantastic wrestling character with such great ability. You know, uh, everything he did looked real. Uh, you know, he would really looked like he was really hitting you in the head, you know, with those side cups to the ear. And, uh, you know, that's a move that was banned in the NFL, you know, so that's how bad that hurts. Uh, just getting cuffed in the ear over and over again. Uh, his moonsault, you know, it was great. He had great runs in WCW with so many epic feuds. Uh, his matches against Sting are incredible. His matches against the British Bulldog during his WCW run are incredible. Yeah, Ric Flair, amazing. Hulk Hogan, great matches. Uh, would come on to the WWE, great matches against Shawn Michaels, uh, McFoley, Mankind, uh, even with Cactus Jack previously. You know, so many great talents that he worked with that you remember those matches. He's going to be sadly missed. I remember uh, when I was backstage the one time, uh, the second night, the second Raw that was taped after the screw job, the Rick Rude night. He locked his keys in his car and he was very upset. And I remember, you know, seeing the, the Mastodon, the the big man, the, the Vader, you know, lock his keys in his car. He was, so he was more like a big baby. He was very upset and very whiny and trying to find anybody that could help him get his keys unlocked from his car. And, uh, you know, where's Goldberg when you need him to put his elbow through a window or, you know, but, um, that's what I remember about Vader. I remember watching great matches, uh, him performing great matches. And I remember him locking his keys in his car and feeling bad for him course i also remember when boy meets world big van vader uh you will be missed uh rest in peace and um thank you uh for entertaining us uh, all those years now with that said uh we're on to our guest today our guest today you might know him as wwe's kyle edwards uh who did a lot of promos uh during raw after raw uh, he's also the co- the creator of uh 
Sportsnet six yeah, three sixties uh, aftermath starring Jim Corderas and and Doug who have both been on the show and Santino Morella who is now on the show. The show aftermath also ra- launched uh, Renee Paquette or now Renee Young's career. Uh, this is a great show and it was created by the guest we have today, Arda Ocal, and uh, Arda is with us here right now and we're going to go to that interview. So uh, I'm going to throw to myself once again. Casey Corbin, take it away. Hey, folks, thanks for uh, joining us again on uh, Talking Wrestling. Uh, right now, I have a guest uh, joining us on the show in Canada. You'd know him as Arda Ocal, uh, host and creator of Aftermath that still runs to this day. And wrestling fans uh, elsewhere in the world might know uh, him as WWE's Kyle Edwards. And I'm excited to have him here today. Arda, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us on Talking Wrestling. Yeah, thanks for having me. The only bummer of doing this interview is that Jan Murphy is involved, and I hate that guy. So, oh, no, no. Uh, other than the fact that Jan Murphy has his claws on this interview making it happen, I'm very thrilled to be on the podcast. <laughs> I'm glad you're here regardless. So so uh, that's so funny because the last time, well, the last time I saw you was at uh, Chinook Wrestling, uh, the charity show in Kingston, Ontario last year, which is Jan's show. Yeah. But the last time I actually saw you was uh, on a DVD compilation for Canadian wrestlers that I just watched the other day, uh, where you were Kyle Edwards, and it was fantastic, uh, a great compilation. Um, but let's start with, with the, your beginnings, if if you don't mind. Like, when did you first uh, found it? Like, when did you first find wrestling, and when did you uh, start to like it? Yeah, I'll uh, I'll answer that in just a second. I'll tell you the story of how I got that DVD. It's called Our Nation's Pride. Yes, and it was only. Re- Actually, I think it was only released in HMV stores in Canada. It was a very limited release. It wasn't even released on Blu-ray. It was just a DVD release. But how I got that gig uh, hosting that DVD was I made friends in the home video department. And uh, I was just telling them, you know, like, I grew up loving the WWE's, like, DVD releases and the documentaries. And... You know, at that time, they had a lot of hosts uh, hosting different stuff, like Greatest 25 Matches had a host, and, you know, The Best of In Your House had Todd Kettengill come back and stuff like that. Like, I thought there were some really cool things happening. So I just threw it out there, and I said, if there was ever an opportunity for me to be able to host a DVD release, that would be a real bucket list item for me. And then, lo and behold, a few months later, they called me into the office and said, we'd like you to host this Canadian release. And I was thrilled. I was because I at least now, you know, I didn't I didn't do very much in my time in WWE, but at least I have something tangible that I can say, hey, I hosted this DVD, which is which is cool. So I was really grateful to the home video department, you know, the Michael Dalvanos and the Vic Lorenzos and the Karen Dents of the world uh, that really helped me get me this bucket list item so i'm really appreciative to them yeah and it's and it's a good dvd too it's a good quality dvd well all dvds are good quality but i mean like the match selection that uh they chose for each of the wrestlers uh i was very happy with yeah no it was it was a really good dvd and also like a lot of the times in wwe you're given a script and you just read the script basically you're you're an expert teleprompter reader as an announcer and with that one, I was able to have a little bit of freedom, which was fun. Like some of the segments were completely ad lib, or at least I was able to say things in my own words, which was really nice. But going back to your original question about how I found wrestling, 
growing up, my two biggest uh, passions, I would say, were sports and pro wrestling. Mm -hmm. And I was just a big wrestling nerd. I, I loved the history of wrestling. I, I devoured it as much as I could. I watched as much as I could. And it was really uh, Maple Leaf Wrestling into the World Wrestling Federation. And I was just growing up, especially in Toronto, anybody who listens to this who grew up in Toronto knows that, you know, after that switch from the NWA to, uh, to, to the World Wrestling Federation, I, we didn't get much else, right? Like we didn't, on, at least on television, we didn't, unless you searched for it, the WWF really dominated the advertising and also the live events. And it was, it was very much a WWF market in the late 80s leading into the early 90s so uh, that's what I devoured the most that's what I watched the most and it wasn't until later that I found people that were tape trading and then I discovered the NWA and and then later on discovered ECW and then independent wrestling so it was very much WWF for a very long time but then I discovered other forms of wrestling and that got me even more hooked and then the advent of the internet, right? Like in the mm -hmm. probably around 1996 was when I first heard about what a spoiler was, or or what writers were and booking and all that stuff. So when that happened, and suddenly you're learning, you know, the lexicon of pro wrestling, and you're learning about the inner workings of pro wrestling, I actually uh, was fascinated by that backstage world even more. You know, like just yeah. the, the the inner workings of pro wrestling. So. That uh, really like sparked my fandom, uh, probably in the in the mid to late nineties. Well, I think that's very interesting. I, I I've touched upon this uh, last week in last week's episode. You know, when people find out when you first start watching wrestling, you're you, you think it's real and you're watching it, and then somebody will come and tell you that it's fake, and then you sort of have to find out what fake necessarily means like you know they're falling you can't fake falling down and you can't fake gravity uh you know so what is necessarily fake about wrestling and nobody really tells you you have to sort of figure everything out and then usually for me uh there became a new appreciation it's like when you learn that okay so they're not actually fighting they're working together and this is like a choreographed dance well, this is just fantastic. These people are even more talented than I thought they were. You know, I thought they're. You know, I thought that guy was just a giant that was just beating everybody up. But it turns out, yeah, he's not beating anybody up. So then, the more you learn about the behind-the-scenes things about wrestling, you just take. I've for me, I've taken on a new love. Like the sport and well, the entertainment evolved from being somebody trying to ruin it. You know, by oh, it's fake. And, uh, you know, but it just evolved. And I think that would happen with magic or like once you learn that magic's not real, then you start appreciating, oh, well, that trick was fantastic. How did he do it? Oh, let me learn. You know, I think it's very similar in that aspect. And just the way you described it just sort of proves that, you know, they, that that's what happens. No, exactly. And, and I appreciated the matches more, actually, learning about what happens backstage and what goes into a match than I did when I was growing up. Growing up, it was all about the characters, and I appreciated the promos more than I did the matches because I thought that the characters were larger than life, especially in the in the WWF at the time. So when the internet came out, I think there's more of an appreciation of how a match uh, is put together, and that really helped with 
creating a new way to appreciate the art of wrestling. When you were in Toronto, see, I didn't live in Toronto. I lived up outside of Ottawa. Like when I started watching Maple Leaf, uh, Maple Leaf Wrestling, it was already a, a WWE product. Did you go to any of the shows when it was NWA? Because it was, it was still Frank Tunney, right? Like he was still, Tunney Productions was still running it. It was just that now they were affiliated with the WWE rather than the NWA and the other indies, right? Is that correct? Yeah, I think that sale happened, I want to say 1984 or 1985. So no, my first live event was actually in the mid to late 90s. My parents were a little strict. I wasn't even allowed to go to WrestleMania 6. I was, oh, I was very jeepers. upset about as a nine-year-old <laughs> kid, but I, uh, I yeah, I, um, my first live event was, I think it was in 1997, and it was at the Skydome at the time. It was a live event, which ended up being a Raw, but it wasn't advertised as a Raw. It was just a live event, yeah. but they used matches and promos from that from that event on Raw. Oh, cool. So it was, uh, yeah, no, I, I went to a few uh, shows that year, and I just, like yeah that was a whole other thing like just to enjoy the live event experience or going to house shows was a lot of fun uh and we were lucky because we lived you know right in toronto toronto would get house shows and then hamilton would get house shows and then uh, surrounding areas so everything was within driving distance so you could really go to you know several shows a year if you wanted to and uh for for a couple of years there i definitely did that traveled as far as i could to go to shows you know buffalo and, and kitchener and or whatever the house show uh, markets would be, Windsor, even London, you know, like whatever yeah. would be a driving distance from Toronto. So I definitely enjoyed those as much as I could. And yeah. then, uh, so no, I, I didn't have a chance to go to uh, NWA shows in Toronto. My father did. He went to one, he wasn't a wrestling fan, but he did go to one show. And that's actually one of the reasons I knew Ric Flair was in the WWF, but I didn't know that Ric Flair was on house shows in the 70s in Toronto. <laughs> and when my father told me that, I didn't understand. The, my first thought was, wait a minute, Ric Flair was in the WWF in the 70s? Because I didn't know at the time that it was NWA house shows and the sale had happened because I, the internet didn't exist, I guess. And I, I wasn't privy to the lineage of wrestling in Toronto. So yeah. that, that took me off guard for a little bit. That's crazy. Like, um, you know, I remember, so I was in Ottawa. So we pretty much had, it was all WWE. Like you said, WWE pretty much dominated Canadian television. I guess TSN had a show called Pro Wrestling Plus that Ed Whalen hosted. And it was sort of just a mix of uh, random matches from all the different territories. Um, so yeah. I'd watch that. And then I'd watch also AWA, and uh, which was also on TSN. But in order for me to follow NWA, I had to strictly follow that by reading in the magazines. And then at that point, in 91, when Ric Flair came to WWE... I had a subscription to Pro Wrestling Illustrated Weekly, so I was getting a, a magazine. It wasn't even a magazine. It was like a giant piece of paper folded up into a little pamphlet, and uh, you would have, you know, every match that happened that the previous week was already listed. It was really, the magazines would run like maybe three months behind whatever was going on. But this was like the first up to date, like, wow, this is going on now. Like, I could tell you who's going to win the next five weeks in Superstars because I have the answers right here. Although it's not surprising. Usually the, the name you recognize would win. But, <laughs> you know, it's Bob Bradley isn't upsetting anyone this week, according to this. So exactly. I remember the whole point of the story. Long story short, um, I got the news that Ric Flair's contract was up September 1st. 
and that he was you know, we already knew he was on his way to WWE because uh, uh, Heenan was showing up with the belt on television so I had tickets to Ottawa where they're doing a superstars taping September 7th so I sort of knew I was like Ric Flair has to show up at this superstars taping it's his contract just ended so I was excited for it but nobody else knew and then I think half the room didn't even know who he was but when his music hit uh immediately you can see me standing a white shirt just stands up and you can just see me a, a blip in the screen and when i watch it but i know that's me and i was like standing up giving my four horsemen fingers up in the air cheering because i finally get to see someone who'd become my favorite wrestler and i'd only watched him on videotape at the time yeah so very exciting yeah, that's, cool. that's probably the greatest moment i ever saw in wrestling just because he came in he attacked roddy piper and then Vince McMahon took a bump that night, his first bump ever. He took a chair shot to the back. So in a historic sense, that was the greatest moment I've ever seen. But I imagine you must have seen greater moments than that. Oh, it's a pretty great moment. You know, I, growing up a wrestling fan in the 80s and 90s, you see pretty, uh, you enjoy iconic moments. I, like my, my favorite match still today, ironically, the, 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 my two favorite matches, they both involve Bret Hart. I, I, I don't know if Bret Hart is, I would classify him as my favorite wrestler. I would say Mr. Perfect's probably my favorite wrestler. But Perfect and Brett at SummerSlam 91 was one of my favorite matches. So good. And then Brett and Owen at WrestleMania 10 is probably my favorite match of all time because I love that story. And I actually love the backstory because I had a chance to interview Brett uh, many times in my career, actually. Brett's one of the reasons that I probably got as far as I did in my career. He's definitely been a champion for me uh, for a very long time. And he, every time he'd come to Toronto, he'd always let me know and he'd always say, you know, if you have studio time, let's go do some interviews. You know, him and Edge were like that, where they were just very gracious with their time with me and Piper as well. Uh, uh, so like he was, they, uh, the three of them were very gracious with their time with me and they would always make time for me when they were in the city because, um, you know, I'd always dive into their careers and they'd always tell me that, you know, we'd get to talk about things that they don't normally get to talk about in other interviews. And I was surprised in that. So, one of the things that we dove into in one of the interviews that I did with Brett in the past was the WrestleMania 10 match and how, you know, that storyline leading up to it, uh, we talked about how it was, uh, you know, originally uh, there was uh, rumblings that it was going to be Bruce mm-hmm. uh, as, the, uh, as the brother and then how it worked perfectly that it would have been Owen because he's the younger brother and he's very talented and, you know, a Brett versus Owen match would be a fantastic match. But the most fascinating part of that match is that, Brett had the match laid out like a week before WrestleMania 10, but he second guessed the match. So, like two days before WrestleMania, they went back to Calgary and they redid the entire match because wow. Brett thought that the original match had too many high spots and it would make Owen look too much like a babyface. Yeah, and so they they sat in the dungeon. I think Stu was there too. And Brett basically said, look, this match that we have laid out, you look too much like a babyface. And so both of them essentially completely revamped the WrestleMania 10 match into what we saw. And, and I guess good thing they did because it was that match was a masterpiece. And it was such a fantastically told story. Like even the beginning of the match, like you remember the beginning of the match where they lock up in the middle of the ring, right? Yeah. And it was just like a, both of them push apart from each other. So it was like one of those like neutral lock up. They both have equal strength. They push apart from each other. And then Owen raises his hands in the air like he got an advantage in the match. <laughs> and yeah. then Brett, like, 
smirks around. But then even Jerry Lawler on commentary, you know, he's like, oh, that's clearly an advantage for Owen Hart. I was like, man, like these little details, like I hope people are paying attention to this because if you're an aspiring wrestler, like these are the kind of details that are going to make put your matches over the top, you know? Yeah. So it was just like a to, to hear those stories from Brett and to hear, you know, his psychology and, and just the, uh, the, the way that he puts matches together, I thought, uh, was was super cool. Yeah, I love that, and I love that. You know, that match went on number one. You know, and that was a strong yeah. WrestleMania. Like there was, uh, there were strong matches. You know, obviously the other matches, the the ladder match. But you know, when I look at both matches, I was like, well, the ladder match had the sweet spot during the show, right in the middle, and they're using a gimmick. Brett's match goes on first. It's just him and his brother. That's and you know like which one tells the story better? To me, Brett's match is by far superior to the latter match. The latter match was only, I believe, as great as it was because it was the first time anybody was seeing a ladder match in WWE, so it's the first ever. But uh, when you go back and you look at it, I just I'll take Brett versus Owen with no gimmicks any day in the opening match because. It's just that set the tone for that WrestleMania, which is fantastic. The other thing about the ladder match, actually, uh, that Brett and I had a chance to speak with in, in past interviews is Brett brought that idea to WWE several years prior to that ladder match between Sean and Razor. He actually had the idea in 1992. Well, he had the idea before that because the ladder match had been used in Stampede Wrestling, but brought the idea of the match to Vince in 1992. And he, and he has said that uh, he, he tried to explain the idea of the match and Vince wanted like a proof of concept, like show me this match. So they actually did it. It was Brett versus Sean at some house shows in 1992. And actually, I think one or two of those matches are on a Coliseum videotape. Uh, I don't know what it's called, but it's definitely on a Coliseum tape. So that's why that match is there, because Brett was trying to show him that this would be an interesting match. And actually... The first time they were going to do this, the original plan for the 1992 SummerSlam was going to be Brett versus Sean in a ladder match at SummerSlam. But then the plans changed. I think that was going to happen in Washington, D.C. But then the venue changed to England and they wanted uh, uh, Davey Boy in a more prominent spot. And that's why you saw Brett versus Davey for the Intercontinental title in the main event as opposed to the WWE title going on last. It was that match because of being in Wembley Stadium. So so basically, that idea got put on hold, and it resurfaced a couple of years later, but Brett wasn't involved that time. No, and it's, it's you know, and you talk about, you know, where, where Brett had to go and, re, you know, they had to redo the match with Owen. You want to talk about how fantastic Brett is. Uh, look at that match in Wembley, because... You know, after reading his book, you learn that Davy Boy was not in the best condition to wrestle, yeah. and uh, and he couldn't remember any of the match that they laid out. So Brett had to call everything in the ring, and not only that, he also had to carry Davy Boy through a twenty-five minute match, and uh, it's one of the best matches ever. <laughs> Again, it, it is such a fantastic match. Brett says that's one of his crowning achievements is just based on the circumstances. That SummerSlam 92 match was probably one of the pinnacles of his career, for sure. And, 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 and when, you, when you watch it again, knowing what we know now, 
it's even more impressive. Yeah, it's amazing. It's my probably my second. Like Brett's obviously uh, my favorite wrestler of all time as well, and I would say that's my second favorite. A match where the first is uh, him and Austin at WrestleMania 13. He he certainly was a wrestler that was time and time again could go out there and have the best match on the card with anyone. You know, you look back at when they stole the show at SummerSlam with him and Perfect. You could look at all those. He had great matches that stole the show with the IC title. Again, WrestleMania with Piper, another amazing match. And all these matches are totally different, yet he still hits his five moves in each match. But all those matches are totally different, and they're fantastic. I, that's why I think he's the yeah. best. You know, his yeah. matches are diverse, and uh, they're not always the same. He's just fantastic no matter who he works with. He, he gives a credible, believable match. Mm-hmm. Now, how did you come about with the idea for Aftermath? When did all that begin? So the story there is after, I'd say about I was like six or seven years in volunteering and, and you know, getting odd jobs here and there and broadcasting. And I ended up becoming an intern or a volunteer at Hardcore Sports Radio, which used to be the score's serious radio station. And then I became a part-time uh, producer. And so that meant that I was on the company email list. I got a score uh, email or as a hardcore sports radio email account. And that means I was the company email list. And that's important. That's an important part of the story because I would have never gotten this email otherwise. So basically around that time, somewhere around like, I don't know, I, I want to say fall of 2009, the vice president of programming sent out an email that said, Hey, we're looking for ideas for shows. If you have any ideas, uh, fill out this one page form and let me know. And it's important to remember that the score was definitely the, third of three in terms of competition for national sports networks in Canada, mm-hmm. right? Yes. You had you had TSN, you had Sportsnet, and then you had The Score. And The Score's biggest property by far, they had like March Madness, they had maybe, I think it was either Serie A, Italian Soccer, or English Premier League for a little while, but definitely the biggest ratings getter for The Score by far was WWE, and they didn't have money to compete for ba- uh, hockey or baseball or basketball or anything like that it was definitely wwe that was the biggest property and so when i saw this one page uh document i said well sports have a post-game show and a pre-game show why doesn't wwe and i was betting on the fact that people were tuning into raw and smackdown already so why wouldn't they want to stick around even for one extra segment to hear what people in studio have to say about the show. Kind of like the Talking Dead before the Talking Dead existed, right? Yeah. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to fill out this form. And, and, I, and I thought of uh, ideas for the show and segments, etc. And I sent it, and I didn't think a second thought. I thought it was a good idea, but that was about it. So about 20 minutes or half an hour later, I get an email from the vice president's assistant saying, please come meet him when you have a chance and I went into his office and then that basically became the beginning of right after wrestling. He liked the idea and he said, we're going to green light this. And the first episode, uh, I was in the control room handling, like, I guess what was Twitter before Twitter. It was like people could pay 25 cents and send a text message. And then I would see it. And then I would approve or deny whether they would get on the air, Mm -hmm. which was really funny. I did that for one episode and I continued to do that. But then the second episode on, I was on the air, like I was sitting on the side. Yeah. And then about six months after that, I was actually, you know, 
I, I was allowed at the big boy table and I was able to sit down with the rest of the hosts. But that's how Aftermath was made. Like, basically, I thought that it would be a good idea to have a, a one-pager and, uh, you know, the vice president of programming and still works at Sportsnet, his name is Greg Sansoni. Basically, if you're a wrestling fan and you enjoy Aftermath and WWE, he was probably the biggest advocate for uh, the growth of WWE in Canada. And uh, he was the reason that Aftermath got greenlit in the first place. So uh, you basically have him to thank for, for that show still being on the air. Well, I'm glad it is still on the air because even though it's went through many uh, different incarnations, it's still good to this day. It's still enjoyable to this day. Um, and uh, I've had uh, Nug, who's also who's uh, on the show now. Uh, I've had him on the show, and I've had Jimmy as well. And Jimmy's a, a fantastic. Uh, they're both fantastic podcast guests, but uh, Jimmy has got some great stories. One of the big reasons I'm happy Aftermath is still on the air is because Jimmy still gets a paycheck, which is, uh, uh, I'm very happy to hear. He's one of my uh, dearest friends. And also, I would like to point out uh, one of the reasons, maybe the second biggest reason, because definitely his wife, Audra, is the biggest reason, but the second biggest reason he ended up writing his first book, and he should be writing his second book right now. So he... Uh, you're welcome, Jimmy, if you're listening to this. <laughs> this is really what I have to say about that. Uh, and Nug, I feel like uh, there's some some position for him in WWE in, in the future. I, I feel like there's something, like he definitely has a passion, right? Like he's, he's oh, yeah. very passionate, he's very knowledgeable, uh, he's very funny. Like, like when I first discovered him, honestly, like when I first met him, uh, it was through comedy and improv. Like I, I didn't even know at first that he was a wrestling fan. Like I, I knew that he was, uh, very funny in the comedy circles that I uh, associated with, you know, years and years ago. Mm -hmm. But but he's uh, yeah. He, I mean, I I feel like there's something for him uh, in WWE if he if, if he chooses to take it. I I feel like that would be in his future somewhere for sure. Yeah, that's very cool, and it's so funny. I remember when I first moved to Toronto um, uh, years ago, like years back, I 2001 maybe. Uh, this the sketch troupe would play the Rivley and they were called the Minnesota Wrecking Crew and I always got upset at that for some reason because I'm like that's 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 that can't you know I just I it was a tag team it can't be a sketch name like you know there was no other sketch troops calling themselves the Killer Bees or or anybody else so I just I always took offense that there's a sketch troupe that took a wrestling tag team title and used it for their names and sure enough I never even knew who they were I just would never go see them and then uh, I didn't know that Nug was a part of that sketch troupe until he was on my podcast. And I said, it, "I said, I, you know, it really bothered me that somebody was going around calling themselves the Minnesota Wrecking Crew." You know, I'm like, "There's no Andersons here," you know. So I thought that was always very funny that they that uh, he chose that <laughs> as a title. Now, yeah. how did they cherry? Did they, what happened? Like, how did you make the jump from Aftermath to WWE? Well, uh, one of the reasons I enjoyed being on aftermath was that of course if you grow up a wrestling fan and, and you know have broadcasting and if you have broadcasting ambitions like i do one of your 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 biggest ambition of course would be to work for wwe and and uh, my first audition there was in 2009 actually even before aftermath began and it was a terrible audition i just didn't have enough reps under me and, and enough experience so that probably cost me about four years of them uh, having a look at me 
And in that time, Aftermath got created. And, and I honestly thought that Aftermath would be the reason that I got to WWE. But in fact, it I definitely did get on their radar because of Aftermath. But it was, in fact, a little bit of a detriment for me personally because they saw me too much as a wrestling guy. And one of the big pieces of advice that I give to anybody that, that wants to be an announcer at WWE is be careful how much wrestling you put out there on social media and how much, of a, how, how much you associate yourself with wrestling, especially when you're opining on WWE in particular. Mm-hmm. If you, you know what I mean? Like in, in that role, from my personal experience, WWE didn't look too fondly on that. They preferred when I was a broadcaster somewhere else. Where I got over with them the most was after I left Aftermath and I became a weather guy for a year. I worked at the Weather Network for a year and I completely went radio silent on wrestling. That's when they started to be impressed by me. And that's when finally, after a couple of auditions, that's when they decided we're going to bring you in. I always had the dream... But honestly, I got to a point in my life where uh, you live in Ottawa, so you'll appreciate this. I actually worked in Ottawa for the Weather Network for one winter. Oh, my and God. Thank God it was only, yeah, thank God it was only one winter because that's about as much as I could stand being in Ottawa in the minus 40 with the wind chill. And it was probably the, the most interesting three months of my entire career. I love the city, but, man, I feel for anybody who has to – feel uh to work outside in the winter in ottawa it is not fun yeah it is so cold like i live in uh, toronto now but i live i grew up outside of ottawa and even to this day i don't want to be in ottawa for winters or go up and visit my family i just stay away it's awful no it's it's too much i love toronto there you know there's little snow if there is snow it's not here very long you know and uh no i'd prefer the you know, the easier winters uh, in Toronto than uh, four hours away up in uh, Ottawa. That is for sure. Yeah, exactly. So basically from there, I, I worked for Ottawa in three months, and then the Weather Network offered me a full-time job in Vancouver. And, of course, full-time jobs are few and far between in mm-hmm. broadcasting, especially in Canada. It's very difficult to be a full-time uh, television personality or a reporter, anchor, anything media related, and especially in Canada, is very difficult. So here I am. I moved to Vancouver, uproot my entire life. I never lived on the West, but I figured, you know what? It's a full-time job, and I would regret it if I didn't go. So I went, and honestly, I thought, you know what? This might be my one big career move, and this might be it for me. And honestly, if I was not chasing WWE, I might still be in Vancouver today because I might not have ever wanted to leave. It's a great city. Uh, I was full-time. I had benefits, and I was on the air every day, and I, and I was doing something that I loved. I was on a morning show, and I was having fun, mm-hmm. and the weather is pretty much the same in Vancouver every day. It's either yeah. really sunny or it's going to rain. So like, it's not like it was extremely difficult from a weather standpoint, but it was fun. It was, it was a lot of fun. So there, uh, when I like, like I said, I mean, it's like when, when you when you stop paying attention to WWE, then WWE starts paying attention to you. So I let it go for a while, and, and, and they got back to me, and they said, we want to bring you in for another audition. So one day I took a day off of work, and I flew from Vancouver to New York, and a car picked me up and drove me to Stanford. This was my fourth audition with them by now, so mm-hmm. I was very comfortable. And 
the audition process, at least for me, was similar every time. It was, you know, read a couple prompters and do an ad lib segment and then sell us an inanimate object like a bottle of water or a pen or a makeup brush or something like that. So it was, uh, I, I was used to that by then. So I really made it my own and, I, and they could tell that I was really confident there. And it was also the added confidence of having another job, you know, like it wasn't like before, like in 2009, I felt like WWE was my be all and end all, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and that is not the way that that is another thing that I tell aspiring broadcasters is don't put all your eggs in that one basket. If it happens, fantastic. Definitely work towards the goal. The passion is great. The desire is great, but don't make that your only focus, because if you do that, then you're going to they're, they're going to smell that on you and it's going to be a negative. If it is your be all and end all, make sure you learn how to act and project. Uh, the vibes that it's not because if you project vibes that it is your one true uh, desire then they will especially in negotiation they can use that against you because it's leverage so make sure that you don't don't project that when you're in that building or even online so at that point i I didn't i cared but i didn't i I was like okay you know what i've had enough auditions and i have a great job so if it doesn't happen happen for me fine uh, but then they ended up calling me later that year and saying, okay, we're going to pull the trigger and we're going to hire you. So uh, then at that point, I think I started in the fall of, I think it was 2013. Uh, and, and, you know, it was dream come true. I was very happy to get the call. I was, uh, you know, I worked for it for a long time. And uh, it's funny how life works. You know, you get it when you necess- when you sort of got over it in a way, you know? Yeah. And so uh, it was just basically I moved to Stanford, Connecticut. I was with WWE for two years. I had some highlights, I had some lowlights, and, you know, I'm, I'm happy it happened, and I had no regrets. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah, like two years, and just uh, just being there, it, it, too, like, it must have been surreal, uh, you know, like, walking in the halls of, of Stanford and um, the building that, you you know, you you definitely have seen the building before, and you've seen certain parts of the inside uh, any fan has. Um, what was it like working uh, working there? Did you like who did you work with hand in hand mostly, and what did your job entail? Yeah, I worked in the international department mostly, so I wasn't on the road a lot. I was on the road maybe once a month, and that was mostly to do some international content. So I would go and do some interviews with the superstars that would air in different markets, so raw Middle East or raw India, maybe in England, different countries. I actually didn't air much in the United States at all. My biggest profile thing, really, was being in commercial breaks in Canada, which was ironic because suddenly I went from Aftermath, Sardo Cal, to WWE's <laughs> Kyle Edwards in the same market. Yeah. Uh, so it was kind of like a wink-wink, tongue-in-cheek kind of funny thing. But uh, uh, definitely some stuff digitally as well. Like I, I pitched this segment called This Week in WWE History, which I did with Corey Graves. We did that for about a year and a, a, year and a bit. And that was a lot of fun because I got to write that. And my goal with that was to tell stories of moments that we didn't necessarily talk about all the time. Everybody knows the Iron Man match. Everybody knows the NWO. You know, there are all the stories that if you're a wrestling fan for a while, you know which stories have been told ad nauseum, right? Like, or at least like a hundred times. Yeah. And so it was cool to be able to pick moments in history that were a little bit more obscure or more fun to talk about or that don't often get uh, a light shined on them. So that was a lot of fun, and, and, and I was happy that that uh, happened because it, it was fun to work on, and I felt like it was kind of like my baby. Uh, and it did well. We did, we did some social media around it every week. So it was a ton of fun. 
other than that, it was a lot of uh, magazine shows that would air around the world and the odd NXT here and there. I did a couple of things for like the Dusty Rhodes Classic, cool. the Tag Team Classic. Uh, so, the, the, you know, there were some spots here and there. But realistically, I mean, in terms of a WWE career, I you never you never know, right? Like you never know when your time is up. They like you until they don't like you. That's true for all of television. Mm-hmm. So really, I mean, one day, one day I was being told that I was the future of the business, and the next day I was being shown the door. So I don't have any ill will. I have no regrets. I have no uh, animosity and no grudges or anything like that. Uh, it's just the way that it is. And I didn't get. I I think it's fair to say that I didn't get up to bat there. Yeah. In terms of like, I didn't I didn't necessarily get a good good chance to be able to grow. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I, I don't regret it at all. I, and truthfully, I don't, I, I mean, about a year in, I would say that I wasn't as passionate about wrestling as I used to be. And truthfully, I still don't watch today. And it's not necessarily because I'm, I'm not bitter at all. It's just more because other interests have filled my life. Oh, yeah. And, and I think I've said this to other people as well, like, I feel like maybe the next time I would get back into wrestling is if my kids liked wrestling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rob them of the joy that I felt when I was growing up, but I also wouldn't make a big effort to lead them there. Like, I, I'm a big video game guy, so I would much rather sit down in an afternoon and play video games with my kids. Once I don't have kids now, but, you know, eventually when I do, yeah. uh, I would rather spend it spend an afternoon playing video games like teaching them super mario brothers and legend of zelda uh then you know bringing them uh some wrestling matches but if they discover it on their own through their friends or whatever mm-hmm. uh then you know i can open up the vault and say hey your dad used to be an announcer here here are some fun matches that you should watch i'm learning i'm learning a lot today um like i said i always thought that the wwe just sort of came and uh, cherry-picked you and Renee right off the show because it seemed like you guys left Aftermath at around the same time. But when uh, when in actuality, you both probably had different paths to the WWE. Oh, completely. I mean, uh, I my path was very long. My, my path was long and, 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 and full of uh, a- adversity. In, like, I can only speak for my own path. Like, mine started in 2009, mm-hmm. and... It, uh, I, I had four auditions, four years of radio silence, and I went through several different heads of talent that took a look at me before I actually got my chance at WWE. And I'm happy it happened when it did because I can now close that chapter and move on. Like I, I'm at a point in my life right now where I'm happy with what I've done in wrestling and I can move on. Yes. And what I do now, what I do now is I just help aspiring announcers who want to make it to WWE. I try and uh, be their pro bono mentors and just help them as much as they can. I, I can, I mean, and, and, you know, like critique their work and also uh, give them as much advice as I can in order to, uh, for them to fulfill their dreams. And hopefully they do much better than I did. So that's my, that's my role uh, in terms of, of, of WWE announcers. Would I go back to WWE? Honestly, if it was a situation where I was able to keep everything else that I'm doing right now and it was a project on the side, I would definitely entertain that. And I, I think I, I care more about the history. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, when I look back on it, the, 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 the thing I'm most proud of is doing the This Week in History. I, I, I enjoyed that. I enjoy the history stuff. I enjoy talking about it. I enjoy uncovering interesting stuff. 
I enjoy reliving uh, the really fun moments. Yeah. So if there was like a history project, I would uh, totally like to be involved with that. But I don't. I have no desire whatsoever to be an announcer on Raw or a backstage interviewer on Raw. You know, reading uh, joining me at this time, yeah. Dolph Ziggler, and then have a have an interview that's completely read off the script. I, that's not that's not my desire anymore. I, I'm very happy doing what I'm doing right now. And so, if WWE was like a part of my pie, that's fine. But I'm not actively pursuing it. That's good. It's good. That's uh, that's good to hear. Uh, so what are so you're mentoring now? Is there anything else you got going on now? We'll wind this up and let you get on your way because I know you're busy. So uh, if the fans want to find out where you are now, where can we find you? Uh, just find me on social media at ArtoCalTV on Twitter on Instagram. If uh, any anybody listening to this is an aspiring WWE broadcaster and just wants some questions answered or is looking for mentoring or anybody that to critique their work, uh, feel free to reach out on Twitter and I'll be happy to, uh, to set something up. Uh, my email is on my Twitter account as well. So you, I'm not a difficult person to reach out to and I'm happy to help. I always get to put good vibes and positive thoughts in the universe, my friend. That's so good. What is the, what is the Twitter handle? It's uh, at Arda Ocal TV. First name, last name, TV. Awesome, awesome. We're going to put that up on a, uh, as a link. So any uh, fans or anybody on the show interested in going into broadcasting with any broadcasting questions uh, concerning anything in broadcasting, I would imagine, including WWE, uh, contact uh, Arda and uh, he will help you out. Um, Arda, thanks for taking the time uh, to uh, call in. And uh, I hope you have a safe drive and a good stay when you're up here in Toronto. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for having me. No problem. And we'll uh, we'll talk to you again someday. Thank you very kindly. Bye. All right, bye. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. 